Have you ever had something of great value? Great value. Maybe it's an heirloom or maybe it's an antique or uh, something that's special to you. And some of you are looking at your spouse and be like, that's you. Uh, that's not what I'm talking about this morning. Uh, but uh, maybe something that's been passed down to you over time. Maybe it's something that is special or significant to you. Uh, maybe it's a trinket that you guard because you know exactly how much it costs. Uh, uh, my grandmother uh, used to quilt quilts. And uh, this is not one of her quilts, but uh, some of you ladies who know about quilting, you know the value and how much time is involved in making a quilt. And uh, maybe you say, hey man, I, I've seen some ladies maybe watching a television show uh, for some of us young people. Uh, or uh, maybe you watch your mom or grandma quilt and you know how much time and dedication is involved. Uh, something that is valuable, something that you would look at and say, man, that takes a lot of time. There is value there. We see those kind of things uh, all the time and we think about the value that it brings forth. But imagine feeling like you have no value. Imagine uh, your life and you say, Pastor, I just don't have anything. I don't have anything to offer. Uh, I'm not special. I'm not significant. And imagine being told that you're meaningless, that your life has no purpose. Imagine having a job that validates that your life has no purpose. Imagine uh, going to work and having a menial task that really doesn't amount to anything. Imagine your own family being embarrassed and saying, hey, you just go over there, separate yourself from everybody else, and uh, you go do that, and uh, if we see you or not, it doesn't really matter. Imagine having a role in your life, and maybe you're here this morning or watching online, you say, Pastor, that sums up my life. I really don't have, I've never had anybody express that I have any value or purpose. I don't really have much to offer as far as the world is concerned. And I want us to travel back in time to Luke chapter 2 this morning and go to a hillside where there are a bunch of shepherds. Because as far as we know historically, that was a role that a lot of shepherds had. It didn't really have a lot of value. Uh, that position was typically uh, saved for the youngest of the home. Not the strongest, not the mightiest, not the most impressive, but the least. The least people. The least of these and these shepherds needed to know that they were valued, but how would that happen? How would they know that they had significance in God's story of redemption in the birth of His Son? And we see that this morning in Luke chapter number 2 and beginning in verse number 8. And if you have your Bible, you can follow along there. The Bible says, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Uh, let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you so much for the value that you show us in the story of the shepherds. Oh, Lord, as Mary needed acceptance and the wise men needed an answer, 
Lord, the shepherds needed to know that they were valued. And what greater way for you to show value that you would announce your son to them. But Lord, it makes me think about today in our life, the fact that the world might look at our lives and say that we're nothing. But the fact that you announce your son to us, it shows us the value that you place on us. Lord, I ask that you please help us to see that each one of us have great value in your sight. And Lord, I ask that you please help us to see how we fit into your redemptive narrative today. Lord, please speak to my heart. Please cleanse me of any sin that may be in my life unconfessed. Lord, please forgive me. Help me to be clean as I preach your word to your people. Lord, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, please allow today to be their day of salvation. Someone here that may need to take a step in following you, Lord, help them to take that step today. We love you. Thank you for the beautiful name that you have. Thank you for loving us and coming for us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write down number one, the value of the job. The value of the job. And when you look at the role that the shepherds had, there really wasn't a lot of significance to this role. It was typically delegated to the youngest child of the family. The lowliest servant of the family. You didn't see the oldest, strongest, bravest, wisest out overseeing the shepherds. uh, Overseeing the flocks. You saw the youngest. Which really told you what your family thought about you. Think about it this way. You are the last line of defense before the flock. So if you have to, you give up your life for the flock. Now that's comforting. To be the youngest member of How many of you are the youngest member of your family? Let me see your hands. Okay, all right, so imagine you are the last line of defense for the flock. So if you die, oh well, that's kind of how the family looked at it. Uh, You are are wolf bait, okay? Uh, So you give up your life and uh, all you willing participants march yourself out there and uh, do a good job now. You know, that's really what it was. Okay, so the value of the job, it's you or the flock. And because of that, shepherds many times... We look at three things. Number one, they were inferior. They were inferior. We already mentioned the youngest child was typically tasked. It's reasonable to assume that this night was no different. These were not the strongest, bravest, wisest. These are the youngest, weakest, uh, the the least. We've already mentioned that. And we compare that and say, well, pastor, why in the world would shepherds be used for this big task? I mean, it's just sheep, right? Right? You think about these were most likely ceremonial lambs used in sacrifice at the temple around this time of the year, around the time of the feast. Uh, These were sacrificial lambs. So even though they really didn't have a big job, what they were protecting was a big part of what they did. Okay, So the least of these are out there guarding some of the most important pieces of property that people had available to them. But it reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Why would God allow these inferior people to oversee this delicate work? It says, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God hath chosen. Three times in this passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we see God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen chosen, the weak things, uh, to confound those which are mighty. Uh, God, uh, base things of the world, and things which are despised, 
hath God chosen. Remember the story of Joseph? Remember when uh, his family all came in to see Pharaoh? And he said, hey, dad, brothers, don't tell them what you do. Hey, don't tell them that you're shepherds because you're despised. And he says, they're despised. Base things of the world, things which are despised, hath God chosen. Yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. Why? That no flesh would glory in his presence. Why does God choose those things that are nothing, that are weak, that are insignificant, that are poor, that are despised, so that God gets all the glory? That's why. Uh, The people that God uses in a great way for him traditionally are not the people that you and I would think would get used. I wrote this down uh, this past week. God just kind of impressed this on me uh, this past week. I never thought about this before. And it's in your notes. It's amazing to consider that the people in heaven who will one day receive the greatest accolades will be people that you and I have never heard of. The people in heaven who get the greatest. We think, man, you, you look at that. That preacher or that missionary or that, or that person over there who, man, they've dedicated their life to serve the Lord. Most of the people who will be far ahead of us in line at the judgment seat of Christ will be people that you and I have never heard of. That faithful pastor who's served faithfully for all of his life at the same church, pastoring the 20 or 25 people all of his life, who's never complained. How about that Sunday school teacher who served faithfully in the same class for years? How about that person who witnesses every day at work, even though they're mocked and scorned and people make fun of them and criticize them, yet they never give up because they realize that people need Jesus? Those are the people who will be way ahead of you and I in line at the judgment seat. Why? Because they're nothing compared to the world. Uh, When the world looks at them, they say they're inferior compared to us. And yet God looks at those people and say, man, that task, Pastor, that's just menial. It means nothing. That task that is menial to you is monumental to him. That task that you look at and say, hey, I'm nothing, Pastor. I don't have any value. I don't have anything that I bring to the table. God looks and says, I can use that. I can use that. Because that is the point in our lives when God says, I can use you, when we know that we're nothing. It's the part when we say, I'm something, that God says, hands off. I can't touch that. I can't touch something that says, I want the glory. And it's amazing of all those people who will be ahead of us that we won't even know their names. It's common for the shepherds to live in the fields with the sheep. So these are nasty, smelly people. They were inferior. But number two, they were intimidated. When you get to verse number nine and the angel shows up, the sky is filled with that light that they've never experienced. Uh, this is like spotlight, light. I mean, this is like right on them. You know, right there in the middle of the field. No generators, nothing. But the field is all of a sudden on fire with this bright light. They responded exactly how we would have responded. They were afraid. I mean, think about it. They'd never seen anything like this. These were simple people. This was before Steve Jobs made the iPhone. I mean, this is a long time ago. But it says, the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. Remember when Moses came down from Mount Sinai after spending time with God, and he didn't know that his face was shining? What did the people, what was their response? They were afraid. Hey, that guy has been with God. These people are getting to see the glory of 
the Lord, and they had the reaction that we would. And the problem comes when you and I make decisions out of our fear instead of in spite of our fear. See, we look at our life today and we make decisions based on our fear. You know, I, I panic when something happens. I, I panic and I don't know what to do. So I'm going to start making decisions that are emotional decisions because I'm panicking. But we need to make decisions in spite of our fear with rationale that says, I have a cool head. Now, that's where Joseph was, by the way. When the angel came to him, remember he said, I don't really want to embarrass Mary and I don't want to really get dragged into this. So I'm going to sleep on it. Level heads. And level heads here would, were needed. But that's not what the shepherds had. They were afraid. And you and I make decisions and get ourselves in trouble quite often because we make decisions out of, not in spite of. You know, when I say, I can't talk to that person, they, they might cuss at me. I can't invite that person to church. They might laugh at me. They might criticize me. They might not talk to me. You know, I can't talk to that family member because they've said no three times already. I can't invite that person to church. or I can't give that person a track. or I can't be nice to that person. I can't give or I can't serve because, Pastor, I have no value. I don't bring anything to the table out of our fear instead of in spite of our fear. Where does that fear come from? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 for God had not given us the spirit of fear. Now, that fear is not coming from him. The Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man bringeth a snare. But whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be saved. Uh, Psalm 56, verse 3. David said, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Are you living in fear? And the angel immediately, immediately addressed the fear. Look at verse number 10. And the angel said unto them, fear not. There are over 500 fear references in the Scripture, and we're commanded to respond to fear accordingly. You know how that is? We get strength from it. Get strength from it. Our fear should strengthen us, not drain us. Someone wisely said, fear that does not take you to God will take you away from God. If you're not careful and I'm not careful, we get afraid in those moments, those quick decisions, and we withdraw from the Lord. We retreat from Him rather than running to Him. We run to Him. David said in Psalm 34, 4, I sought the Lord and He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. I ran to Him. They were inferior. They were intimidated but look at the next thing. They were included. They were included. You think about where they were. and This message of hope wasn't just for them. It was for everybody, but it came to them first. They were included. The three times the angel from verse 11 to 15 says, Unto you, it's for you, bringing you. When you think about their inferiority, the job that they held, you would have thought that they would have been the last people to hear the news. They would have got the message word of mouth, third hand, three weeks later. But that's not God's plan. Look at verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The angel had already told him, I bring you good tidings of great joy. And so unto you... 
They were the last people. I remember when David was in the field and Samuel showed up. Samuel showed up and had already reached out to Jesse via text message, I'm sure. And uh, snail mail or donkey mail or whatever we, you know, whatever it was. And uh, it said, hey, get all your boys together and line them up. Now remember, Samuel said, all your sons. But where's David? David's not in the lineup. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse number 11, Samuel already get the, got the red light, the X, uh, before uh, America's Got Talent ever came along. He had all the X's over all of these boys. And he said, are these all your sons? And what Jesse say? There remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. You know what he's saying? He's insignificant. He means nothing, Samuel. He's just a little kid. Why in the world would we call for him? And you know the story. They didn't bother calling David, but that was the one that Samuel waited for. That was the one when he showed up, God impressed on Samuel and said, that's the one. That's the one who's going to be the next king. So those who are insignificant here on this hillside outside Bethlehem, the shepherds were the first to hear the news. The very first. And when we think about God's plan for mankind, he includes every person. Not just those who you and I would say are significant, but every person. From the wise men in Matthew chapter 2, who were the wealthy Gentile astrologers, to the lowliest shepherds on the hillside of Bethlehem. Every person was going to hear the truth. And it's the same way today. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9. For God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. How much value does God see in you? He sees enough value in you and in me to send Jesus to be wrapped in swaddling clothes. The dirty, filthy rags that were used to wipe down animals in the stable. And then wrap His Son, the Prince of Heaven, wrapped not only in flesh, which would decay, not only in flesh that we struggle with every day. He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And then he was wrapped again with filth. And God values you and I enough to send Jesus into our world, into our mess. See, Jesus didn't come to stay clean. Jesus came to get dirty. Because he got dirty with our mess. He was affected the way that we're affected. He was tempted the way that we're tempted. And yet he still remained perfect and clean. He was everything he said. See, God values you enough to save you, to set you free, and sanctify you for service in his kingdom. That's how much God values you today. Oh, pastor, but my mom does. My dad does. it, My sister does. My grandma does. My coworkers don't. At the end of your life, you're not standing before them. To give an account. You stand before the one who loves you more than anyone. And who values you more than everyone. He values you. What has God done for you to show you that you're valuable to him? Uh, he's already shown that he loves you enough to send Jesus for you. But what else? See, you, have a, you might have a crummy job. But you've got a job. Uh, you, might have, you might not have the biggest house. But you've got a house. 
Like you might not have the nicest car, but you got a car. You might not have the best family situation, but you got a family. See, all of these things, God values you enough to give you blessings that we truly don't deserve. The value of the job. But not only that, number two, we see the value of the journey. The value of the journey. See, the angels didn't stay very long. They gave them the message. They told them what was happening. They told them where to find Jesus. And they were just there and then they disappeared. What would they do next? How would they respond? Number one, they were excited. You think? They were excited. Something that had never happened before and it happened to them. God chose to send an angel choir. I wonder how that choir sounded, Brother Tim. Uh, you know, but you think about all that God had done up to that point, And they could have said, man, I can't wait to go to sleep. I, I mean, I just feel like we had a dream and I can rest easy now. No, what time to sleep? It was time to run. It was time to go share what had been told to them. Look at verse 15. And it came to pass that the angels were gone away from them in heaven. The shepherds said one to another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem. Hey, we're not waiting until tomorrow morning. We're going right now. We're going to go ahead and share the message that has been shared with us. Nobody had claimed to see the angels, but they had seen it. Nobody else had been given this news yet. They had seen a miracle take place. And they had to tell somebody. Uh, No one else was there on the hillside other than the shepherds, but they had received the message. There was excitement in their hearts. And that should be the reaction of every believer when we think about what Jesus has done for us. And that doesn't have to mean that you have to do somersaults as you go out of the church parking lot. Woohoo! Jesus I'm not talking about that. But we are talking about a general excitement and joy in your heart for what He has done. There should be an excitement. But how often do we get over Him? Uh, Yeah, I felt that way one time. And then I got over it. Man, if you get over Jesus, you might not have Jesus. Because he's not something you just get over. There's joy that erupts outside of you. And we saw a lady trust Christ this past Wednesday as her personal Savior. And saw those tears of joy come out her eyes. It was awesome. I love it when God, Jesse, when God squeezes somebody's heart and it comes out their eyes. I love it. It's awesome to see God work. We saw him work Tuesday night. And then again Wednesday night when the county voted for approval for Augusta Christian Academy. And then the sheriff's officer came out and said, Y'all are going to need to hold it down a little bit. You're being too loud. (laughs) We didn't come out there and go, whoo, and go to the car. Man, we were amped. We were pumped. We were excited about what God is doing. Yeah, well, you know. Hey, if I have to sing I'm a man of constant sorrows again, I will. Uh, But that's it. Hey, God has done miraculous things, and they had seen God work. They had to tell somebody. Galatians chapter 4 is a great reminder of the love that he has for us. Galatians 4 verse 7, when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we, we might receive the adoption of sons. Hey, I don't know if you know this or not, or you have realized this or thought about this recently, but you and I deserve to go to hell. 
And that, that's just real. We deserve hell. And Jesus said, nope. Not good enough. Not good enough. It says, because ye are sons. Because you're sons. God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Well, I guess, you know. Don't you ever get over the fact that God came and he died for you and he loves you and he set you free and he's given you more blessings than you and I will ever deserve. Don't you ever get over that. Well, I don't know what y'all are so excited about Christmas time. Hey, God sent his son. That's why we're excited at Christmas time. That's why. Well, I'm glad you're excited, Pastor, but you should probably calm down. Never! Not calming down over that. Hey, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, who at sundry times and in divers' manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. Hey, we don't have to hear the stories of the Old Testament old-timers. Well, God used to work. God's still at work. Amen. Don't you get over that. Amen. And it hath in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. I love this quote that I'm getting ready to read to you. It's on the wall out in the hallway, in the hallway, in the hallway, down the hallway. C.S. Lewis. I had to think about it. I'm looking at John to confirm. It is on the, it is on the hallway. You'll see it. Here it is. C.S. Lewis, the Son of God, became man to enable men to become the sons of God. Come on now. Hey, it's Christmas Sunday, and I did wear a red jacket for a reason. It's exciting to know that God came for us. He came for us. Uh, Max Lucado said, let him into the mire and muck of our world, for only if we let him in can he pull us out. Nothing like it. They had a reason to be excited. And if you've got Jesus this morning, so do you. You've got a reason to be excited today, church. Don't let the world and the credit card bill drag you down. Jesus is the reason for the season. Hey, well, you know, I, I got I got to spend time with those people this week, Pastor. You know, I don't like it, and they don't like me. And you know, hey, you smile real big and love on them because Jesus is your Savior. And if He is your Savior this morning, if He's not your Savior, man, He sure wants to be. They were excited, but number two, and this is us today, they were encouraged. They were encouraged. Now look at verse number sixteen. And they came with haste. You think they were a little excited? They were running. Man, where is, where is, where is? They're all over the place. They were scattered all over. It says, and they found. The Greek word here for found is anarisko, and it means to find by searching. You say, Pastor, duh. No, find. That means that they had to search. But it also means that they were intent about their search. They weren't satisfied just to go and look. They weren't going to be satisfied until they found. 
That means they were beating every door down trying to find out. Hey, have you heard about? Have you heard? Have you seen? Have you heard about this? This 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 just happened to us out in the hillside, and we got to find this baby. And when they did, verse 16, they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now they knew. Why? How did they know? Because the angel had told them, you'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, laying in a manger. And they found just like the angel had said. You know, are you encouraged by the news of Jesus? Are you excited about this time of the year? Are you thrilled? See, Jesus told his followers in John 16, 33, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You know, we have hope and encouragement today because of the baby that was born in that manger. But he didn't stay in a manger. And he lived a perfect life. And he died on the cross, but he didn't stay on the cross. Uh, he, He went to an empty tomb. That had never been used before. But hey, guess what? He didn't stay in that tomb. And he ever lives and ever breathes to be our intercessor between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. Hey, he is what we have to be encouraged about. Now, are you excited? Are you encouraged? Well, you know, I guess I am. See, they didn't say, let's see if it's true. They said, let's go see it. We're going to go find what we have just heard about and wouldn't be satisfied until then. They were convinced by faith that they would see it. And hey, if you've got Jesus in your heart, in your life, he's made you some promises. Are you convinced by faith that you're going to see those promises take place? Oh man, you know, I, I've been praying for all this time and I haven't seen it yet. We're going to a land we've heard about that we're going to see one day by faith. By faith I can see it afar, the old song says. It's coming. But are you acting on what you know is true or are you still unsure? Elizabeth Elliot said, don't dig up in doubt what you planted in faith. Don't dig up in doubt what you planted in faith. There, there was a value in the job. There was a value in the journey. And then lastly this morning, we see the value of Jesus. The value of Jesus. What they do next? We see the comments that they made. Look at verse number 17. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. Imagine as they head back to the hillside. Man, I can't leaving the manger, leaving the stable. This, this is the middle of the night, y'all. Now think about this. This is the middle of the night. And they're already telling people. Now, I don't know about you. But in the middle of the night at my house, there's not a lot of people outside. If there are, you got your eye on them because they're up to no good, you know? Mom and dad used to say nothing good happens outside, outdoors after 9 o'clock, you know? So uh, there are all these people outside. Hey, I don't know about y'all, man. We had a curfew, and uh, it wasn't fun. Uh, but think about these are people, and they're making known what they have seen. You know what I see them doing? 2 o'clock in the morning. Hey, I know y'all are asleep, but we need to tell you something. I can see them telling people along the way, making these comments. They had seen a miracle, and they had to tell somebody. Who have you told recently about the miracle that's happened in you? 
and you. Who needs to hear it this week? This week. Because you will see people this week and I will see people this week that you only get one shot once a year. You say, oh, pastor, thank God. Uh, But at the end of the day, those people need Jesus too. And if they're not going to hear it from you and from me, who will they hear it from? You know, we keep praying, God, please send somebody to talk to that person. Maybe that person is you. What if somebody else is praying that prayer for that person and you are the person that God has put in their path to tell them that message? Hey, somebody is praying for you. Get busy. Get busy. Especially if you, well, pastor, they've already told me no. Write them a letter. Pastor, they've already shot me out my letter. They burned it in front of my face. Give them another letter. Uh, Write them an email. Do something. Because eternity is real and it's coming. There is no way to change the fact that it is quickly upon us. you got a great chance this week. Hey, invite somebody to church. I'll tell them. You get them here. I'll tell them for you. But tell them the message that they need to hear. The comments that were made. Maybe the only thing in your life today that you have going for you is Jesus. Maybe your value is nada, nothing as far as the world is concerned. But you know what? Is Jesus enough? Colossians chapter 1 verse 27. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Hey, he is the hope. But are we sharing it? The comments, number two. We see the consideration, verse number 18 and 19. The people heard the news, considered what had taken place. And all they that heard it, verse 18, wondered, why did that person knock on my door at 3 o'clock in the morning? They wondered, why? All of these things, they started putting pieces together, the elements, the the Mary and Joseph and the angels and the shepherds and all the dreams that had taken place and all the announcements. It was all coming together and they all had a common element. It was the work of the Lord. All of it converging. What a coincidence. All these things happening at the exact same moment in history. This is only something that God could do. Psalm 118 verse 23. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 21, verse 42, Did you ever read in the Scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Jesus' birth was prophesied in the Old Testament, fulfilled in the New Testament by the shepherds. It was proclaimed by the shepherds. And everyone that heard it considered it, but not everyone who heard it believed it. And it's no different today. You will share the message with some people. And just just as a reminder, you are not responsible to win people to Christ. We're not responsible to win people to Christ. We're responsible to share the good news of Christ. Not your job to save people. It's your job to tell people about Jesus. That's our job. And we leave the results up to the Lord. But we share the message. Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. Being confident in this very thing. That he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. We see the comments. We see number two. The the consideration. And then lastly we see the celebration. Look at verse 20. Lastly this morning. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. As it was told unto them. Now see the shepherds eventually returned. But they were different now. Everything had changed. They went back to their same boring job. 
the same boring roles, the same insignificant life that they had. But the job had changed. Now they had a different mindset. They had seen the Savior. They knew that they had been valued because God had shared with them a message that He didn't give to anybody else. And they got to see the good news on display firsthand. See, are you excited today about what the Lord has done in you? Are you excited about the potential that He can do that same thing He's done in you and somebody else? The fact that God could use you as a part of His plan. God could use you. Well, Pastor, I'm nothing. Awesome. God can use anybody, even those who think we're nothing. He can use you and I. Henry Ward Beecher said, The test of Christian character should be that a man is a joy-bearing agent to the world. Jesus said in John 15, 11, These things I've spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full, overflowing. See, it really comes down to the value that you see in what he's done for you. How much value do you have today? It really comes down to your personal perspective. You know, we look at these quilts. It's not good when your fat rolls over and turns off your microphone. (laughs) Not good. January's coming. We're going to work on that. Uh, But... I have resolved. I am resolved to lose all this fat. Uh, so, you think about these quilts. That wasn't in the notes, <laughs> obvious. Uh, but think about these quilts. You know the value in what you see. You know, somebody took time, and you might sit back and say, "Man, yeah, I, I see some value in that. Absolutely. Yeah, I see that somebody took hours and hours, and they did that, but it really doesn't impact you. I mean, it's not your quilt." You know, but there's one person in this room that sees this as priceless, and that's my wife. See, this isn't just any quilt. This quilt was handmade by her great-great-grandmother. So even though you might know a little bit about quilts and might know value of quilts, to one person in this room... This can never be replaced. There is no price tag that you can put on this because of the love that was invested in the creation of this design. Can we spiritualize that today? You might look at your life and say, I might have a little bit of value, but eh, not really, not a lot. But see, there is a creator because of the love that he has invested in the design who loves you and says, there is no price that I wouldn't pay for you. And because of the price that I'm willing to pay, I am willing to send my son and demonstrate just how much love that I have for you. For you. Hey, nobody can put a price tag On how much he values you. Hey, what is it? Jesus said, What what is it profited if man should lose or should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? You can have everything and die without Christ, and you've lost it all. But Jesus came 
to show you how much he values you. Hey, do you see the value and that he's placed in you? Do you see the love and have you received that love for yourself? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Maybe you're here today or watching online and say, Pastor, I, I just, I don't know. You know, I, I see that there, there is some value, but I, I don't look at the value the same way. I don't see the value in myself that he does in me. Maybe you've not received that gift. You know, next week, most likely at some point, you will receive a gift from someone, maybe a family member, friend, coworker, neighbor. You know, how embarrassing would it be to that person who's giving the gift that they would look at you and say, here's a gift. And you say, I don't want it. That'd be embarrassing. That'd be rude. But how many people, Jesus said, I died to give you a gift. And they say, no, I don't want that. Maybe that's you and your heart. Maybe that's your life where you say, hey, I, I don't really, I haven't received the gift. Salvation is so simple. And Jesus died so that you could receive the gift. So you could reach out and take it. And how you do that is you acknowledge that you are a sinner. The Bible says we're all sinners. Not one of us is perfect. We've all failed. We've all made mistakes. The Bible says clearly that Jesus died as a replacement for your sin. He died bearing your sin on the cross and my sin on the cross. And we have to believe that he did that and ask him to apply what he did on the cross to our lives. He showed just how much he loves us. The value that he places on your heart and life cannot be overstated. But have you received the gift? And maybe you're here this morning and you would say, Hey, Pastor, that's me. I haven't received the gift. I don't know that if I died that I'd be on my way to heaven. I'm just not convinced. I don't know that there's been a time in my life where I have reached out and taken the gift. Maybe you know about it. Maybe you're like I was as a lost teenager. You'd heard the gospel over and over and over, but you'd never reached out and accepted the gift. Could I encourage you this morning and tell you that there are people who are praying for you right now in this moment? Could I pray for you knowing who I'm praying for? Would you simply, with no one looking around, simply say, hey, Pastor, that, you're talking about me. I've not received the gift. I don't know that Jesus is my Savior. I don't know that I'm going to heaven when I die. Is that you? Could I pray for you? Would you in the quietness of this moment just simply slip up your hand so I can see your hand? I can pray for you in this moment. Pastor, I don't know that I've received Jesus as my Savior. Pray for me. That's me. Pray for me. Is that you? Is that you today? I, want, I don't want to miss you, but I do want to pray for you. Pastor, please pray for me. Pray for me. If that is you and you've not raised your hand, would you talk to the Lord about that? Would you tell him that you know you're a sinner and that you believe that he died for you and simply and humbly in faith ask him to come into your life and forgive you of your sin, be your Savior? That's the challenge for today. We'll have personal workers down front in just a moment. Brother John will be right down front to pray with you if you need encouragement. We're here for you. We'd be honored to help you any way that we can. That's what the church is all about. Father, please take this time. Use it. And Lord, please help us to search our hearts and ask if we're right with you. Lord, for the person who may be here and may be watching online, they think they have no value. Lord, help them to see because of the miracle of the manger that you have shown them exactly how much value you believe that they have. 
You sent your son to die for us. That should be all the proof that we need. Lord, you have valued us more than we truly are worth. And we thank you for that. Lord, help us to see that you love us, you died for us, and you want to use our lives. Please help us to submit ourselves to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us, please. Our personal workers are down front.